Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Wow, it's going to be hard to try and top that. <laughs> Even just the presence of God is just, sometimes you just don't want to move on from it, but um, we'll endeavor to uh, keep going and I, I pray that we'll have a blessed time this evening. Let me just actually pray over the service first. Um, Heavenly Father, we just praise and we thank you, Father, for this opportunity for your word to go forth. Father, Lord, I am just a vessel, Father, less of me and more of you, Father, and just whatever happens, Father, Lord, that you'll speak through me and you'll get out what you want spoken to these people. And thank you, Father, that hearts will be ready to receive, grounds will be, <laughs> grounds will be the way they should be, ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I just want to um, start with a question. Is it well with you this evening? Is it well with you all this evening? Um, I just want to share just something encouraging tonight. Um, I believe, well, it really encouraged me, and I believe it'll encourage you too. But um, it was just something like the Lord's just been stirring on my heart this past couple of weeks, and it was one particular passage I'll be... I'll be speaking out of this evening, but it was, <clears throat> it was more like, you know, God's been really pressing on my heart to, you know, make sure that you have a preparation time. Make sure that you um, are prepared. Um, making sure that something doesn't sneak up on you and then your hands are down and you don't know where it's coming from. And it's like, then it's like, right, put the armor on and now we're ready to go. And it's like defensive instead of offensive, like Pastor Ryan was saying last Wednesday night. But how do we respond to difficult situations? I had a word that just kept kind of coming up and it was like suddenly, you know, and you can have positive suddenlies and negative suddenlies. And what I mean by suddenly is it, it's something that catches you off guard. You don't see it coming, um, and it can just blindside you, basically. And, you know, our response to those suddenlies is what determines the outcome. And that's where the preparation time comes in. That's where the lifestyle comes in. And, you know, those suddenlies can be come in many different forms and I'm sure we've all been affected in some way it can be you know financial like you know a job layoff or you know um it could be something with your health it could be yourself it could be a family member it could be so many different things but it's like it just seems to come out of nowhere and you're like wow and sometimes people get so knocked by them that they're playing catch up then it's like right I have to get back up now and then it's like all all like the fight's on, but it's like they've already lost ground because they weren't prepared. And we may not always know what is ahead, but we know that we're overcomers in Christ Jesus. Amen? We know that God sits on the throne. We know that he has given us his son's name, Jesus' name, like I shared on Sunday, we, he has given us the power and he has given us that, that right to use his name against these situations. And building a relationship with him cultures a trust 
that when those situations try and rise up against you, you already know, no, hold on a minute, this isn't, this isn't happening here. This isn't happening to me or this isn't happening in my house because I, I, know, what, I know what I'm putting my whole trust in. How we respond is so important. There's, you know, two different ways you can respond. You can respond in fear or you can respond with faith. And you don't want to respond with fear. Like, I spoke about fear a while back, but it's like it cripples you. It keeps you, it tries to keep you where you're at. And it just knocks the fight out of you. It kills you if you let it. And it's not going to cause you to rise above it. It's not going to cause you to break through. So we don't want to respond in fear. We want to respond by faith. As children of the Most High God, we can respond to any situation with the knowing that we have already got the victory. To respond in faith to these situations comes from a lifestyle. A lifestyle of putting God first in your life. A lifestyle of pouring his word into you daily. That it's, you're pouring it in so much that it's just pouring out of you. You're not waiting until something comes for you. Or you're not waiting for a bad situation to happen. You're doing it constantly. Daily. Daily. So when something like that happens, you're ready straight away. You're prepared. You're prepared for your suddenly. A lifestyle, a lifestyle of respecting, putting God first, fearing him, honoring him, and giving him his rightful place. I want to share with you today a passage on the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a powerful passage, and I've been just reading it and reading it and reading it the past couple of weeks, and even maybe two or three months. And every time I read it, I see something differently. And this was a woman who responded to her suddenly with faith. And what blessed me about this story was, and I'm going to try and show you that this evening, was she lived a certain lifestyle that honored God. And you don't just get up one day, live whatever way you want to live, and say, I'm, or I'm in faith, or I'm going to respond in faith, and I've got this and I've got that. Like, it comes from a lifestyle. You can't just turn it on and turn it off. It's not, it's not a switch. You have to prepare yourself. You have to be putting it in, putting it in, putting it in. You have to be in daily communion with God. Have a relationship with him. In the midst of the toughest thing her family could have faced, she spoke out, in faith. She spoke out with faith and said, it is well. And that's the title of my message tonight, it is well. You can say it as well, even when your situations are trying to tell you something else. It is well. And just like we were praying there, there in the service, let the joy rise up, again, rise up in you that you're not waiting for the manifestation of what you're believing for. You already know you have it. Let Just start laughing. Let that joy rise up in you. Let that faith build. So let me, if you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. And from verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat the food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us. Please let us make a small room on the wall and let us put a bed for him in there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. 
so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. I'll stop there for a moment just to point out. So in the New King James, it refers to her as a notable woman, which is translated as great in the King James Version. Notable can mean important, well-known, remarkable, wealthy. We can assume that she was very capable in performing her day-to-day tasks. She could run a household. Like She wasn't poor, basically. Um, I can, you know, as you read the passage, you know, over and over, and it just you start to paint a picture in your head, in your head, of the type of woman she was, and you know, it just seemed, like I just seen, she was confident, she was persuasive. She noticed this man of God passing through her town, and she persuaded him to stop by and eat some food. It tells us as often as he passed by, he went into her for bread. There wasn't like shops that you could just stop in for a quick bite. You were de- these people were dependent on the kindness of other people. And they were dependent on God to meet their needs, first and foremost. She started to see him on a regular basis. And in verse 9, it says, She perceived him to be a man of God, a holy man. And she said to her husband, Please, let us make him a room. So I just want to show a few things about this woman, first and foremost, before we go any further, right? Number one, she seen a need and she filled it. She provided, fru- she provided food for him as often as he passed by. She was a giver, and she blessed him out of what she had. She had a caring heart to help the people around her. She had a servant's heart. Something else I noticed about this woman was she respected and feared the Lord. When she realized that he was a man of God, as we see in verse 9, she urged her husband that they should make a room for him, but not just any room with a bed. Read the verse, it says, but also with a table, a stool, and a candlestick. She gave him her best. She probably thought we could do so much more for this man of God. She gave him respect where respect was due to fear the Lord. When I say fear the Lord, I'm not talking about like fears. We know it like, oh, like that you're full of fear and you can't approach him. And it's not that type of fear. It's a respect. It's a reverence. And, you know, to fear the Lord means to be in awe of his holiness, to give him complete respect and to honor him above all else. And if you turn with me real quickly to Psalm 115. In verse 11, it says, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. When we fear the Lord, it produces a confidence, a hope, and a trust in him. When he has his rightful place in our lives, when we place him as at the center of our lives and we build everything else around him, it just... He just takes over every part of our lives, and it just comes natural to us. He, we start to build a trust in him, and the more we get to know him, the more we get to know his word, the more that these situations don't faze us. She feared the Lord. She respected and honored this messenger and that was sent from God. She respected Elisha. She therefore had a trust that would later see her through her suddenly, her difficult situation. Another point. She made room for God in her life and in our home. By preparing this room for this man of God, she made room for God in her life. She invited him into her home. The detail of this story really blessed me. She placed so much importance on, on housing this man 
that she built a room for him. It wasn't just a room that they had sitting there. They made this room for him. Have we made any room for God in our lives? When somebody walks into your home, do they know it's a, it's, it's a God-filled Christian home? Like this, I really started to ask myself these questions because I want people to come to my home and when they walk in, they can just sense that love of God, that hospitality, that selflessness. And that's what this woman had. When I read this, this is the, these are the qualities I started to see. This was the lifestyle she had before anything even happened. We can't afford to place God on a shelf. We can't afford to place these principles and, you know, the word and things on the shelf and try and categorize when we might need them. Oh, I'll take this down now because I want to, like, because I need this and I need this need met. But next week, you know, I'm going away and I don't want to really act like a Christian, so I'm going to be kind of putting them back on the shelf again. It doesn't work like that. That's not creating a lifestyle. And then when you don't have a solid foundation, when those suddenlies come, they will rock you. He needs to be the center of our lives. What we place the most value on. What we fear and respect the most. The value and importance this woman placed on God was what seen her receive her promise and then keep, keep it when her suddenly arrived. What is the center of your life? What do, what do we value in the most? What is the foundation holding everything else together? Like I said to you about it, it has to be him. If it's not Jesus, that when the storms come, when the wind blows, like nothing, you, it, it won't hold. Your foundation won't hold. You won't stand because he has to be the foundation that we build upon. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 24 to 27, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, which is his word, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and it was a great fall. If we build our house on anything else that's not him and not his word and his principles, then when the winds come, it's going to fall. He needs to be at the center of our lives. Everything else gets built around that. This Shunammite woman not only made room for the man of God in her life, but she gave him her best room. She made room for God and gave him his rightful place. Let us not be lazy Christians. Let us put God first, less of us, more of him. Um, we can pick the story up again in verse 11. It says, And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the room and lay down. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say this to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can we now do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander? She answered, I dwell among my own people. I loved her response here. She didn't want or need anything that a king or a commander could give her. 
You know, the Bible tells us, remember back in verse 8, that she was a notable woman. She was content and she knew what she placed the most value on and it wasn't anything that those people could give her. A higher rank, position, more money. What are we going after? What can we relate? Can we relate ourselves to this woman just for a second and see what are we placing the most value on? Have we made room for God? And if we have, have we give him center stage? Have we give him his rightful place? First Timothy chapter six and in verse six, it says, now godliness with contentment is a great gain. This Shunammite woman lived a life that honored God and put him first. And she was content with what she had. She would godliness and she had contentment. This combination makes for a good spiritual life. Another point about this woman in her lifestyle. She showed humility. She would no self-gain sort of attitude. She did what she did out of respect and honor for God, not for what she could get from the situation. Again, we see where her value was placed. God knows the desires of our hearts. Our trust should be in him. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be spending all of our time and all of our resources going after what we think we want. We should be going after him and everything else gets added to us. It shouldn't be those things, you know, that I mentioned, you know, like money and, you know, nice things and stuff. They're not wrong, but they shouldn't be your goal. They shouldn't be what you're placing in the center of your life, in the center of your home. You should be making room for God and you should be content where you're at. And then he adds everything else to you. It's putting him first, basically. Our dependence should be on him alone. From verse 14, she answers and says, uh, no, sorry. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, this was because she said, I don't have any, no, I dwell among my own people. There's nothing that they can give me. So he says to his servant Gehazi, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. (laughs) When Elisha called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. Her obedience and honor for God were, were rewarded with the promise of a son. And you can just see in verse 16 where she was like, no, please don't lie to me. You can see how much she wanted this. It was, a des- it was obviously a desire of her heart, but she wasn't voicing it because she wasn't doing those things to get something off Elisha. She wasn't doing those things to get something off God. She was doing it because she knew it was the right thing to do. She was doing it because she lived a lifestyle of godliness, a lifestyle of faith. Like it says in Psalm 37, I mentioned it there a minute ago, about God knowing the desires of your heart. It says in verse 3 to 4, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I love that verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does anybody have desires in here that they want come to pass, that they want to see happen? Delight yourself in the Lord. To delight yourself in him is to find your fulfillment in him. 
When our hearts line up with his heart, when our delight and fulfillment comes from serving him, thinking of eternity and not just thinking about earthly gain, we will always be content. God will bless us with the desires of our heart. Like I said, this woman was not poor, but she placed her value on honoring God. And that's, that's where she received her promise. From verse 18 in the passage, it says, And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went up, this is amazing, she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. She called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Her husband replied, what are you going to him today for? It is neither new moon nor the Sabbath. She responded, it is well. Now, her son had just died in her knees, on her knees, and she responded to her husband, it is well. Like, <laughs> I have children, and I try to put myself in that position, and man, that, that woman had faith. She received her promise from God, and her lifestyle, as we're going to see, paved the way for her to keep God's promise, the, the fulfillment of it as, as a whole. Her first response when her son, only son died in her arms was she lifted him, placed him on the bed in the room that she made for this man of God, that she made for Elisha, and shut the door behind her. We see no evidence here in scripture that she runs around the house wailing, screaming, panicking, letting fear come in, letting doubt come in. It doesn't mention that. It mentions what she said to her husband, it is well. She didn't run around the house in hysterics. She lifted him, placed him on the bed and shut the door. Now, I'm assuming that even back then there would have been certain things that you would have had to put in line for if you were to, if there was going, like her son died, he was going to have to be put in the ground or whatever way it was, it worked. Burials. He was going to have to prepare him. She was going to have to prepare him. She, so, she, she made no sign of preparing her son for this. She prepared him for a resurrection. She went up, she didn't put him in his own bed or her bed. She put him on Elisha's bed and shut the door behind her. She didn't want anyone else to know what had happened. She didn't run and get her husband. She called for him and asked for one of the donkeys so she could go see Elisha. And her husband asked where she was going. She responded with it as well. That was her faith speaking. Anyone know faith has a voice? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, if we have faith like a mustard seed, speak to your mountain and it will move where you tell it to move. Speak. Faith has a voice. She spoke out and said it as well, even when it clearly wasn't in the physical. Her son had just died. Our words and how we speak are so important. When we get our words to line up with the word, our lives will look very different. Why do you think she did not tell anyone what had just happened? 
not even her husband. She was not bringing life to the situation with her words. She was not bringing life to this suddenly that just came upon her. God gave her this promise of a son that she longed for, and then all of a sudden, he's, he dies. It doesn't say what age he was, but he, it says that he grew. But I'm sure he was an old, old. And this, she knew this isn't the way this was meant to be. She wasn't giving life to the situation with her words. One of the first responses we can have to any situation is with our confession. Even if a thought comes, we take a captive and put it under our feet. We combat it with our words. You don't combat it with another thought. You speak out against it and put it under your feet. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We need to speak life to situations, and there are certain situations you need to speak death to. You need to speak death to sickness, death to oppression, death to anything that is contrary to God's word. You speak death to it, and you speak life to your body. You speak life to your families, but your, you speak life to your finances. Wherever it may be, you speak life to those things, and you speak death to everything else. Your confession holds so much weight. People miss it so much here because they go around every day and say, oh, I'm in faith. I'm in faith, but the next sentence is telling you everything that's wrong and why they're in faith. But they're telling you, oh, this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong and I have this and I have that and, you know, my family has this and, you know, I lost my job, I have no money. And it's like they're just, and, you know, people, some people don't even realize they're doing it, but they are speaking life to these situations with their words. And, you know, anybody knows when it comes to anything, if you say something for long enough, you'll convince yourself. So if you're constantly hearing yourself say, I'm sick, I'm poor, I'm this, I'm that, or I'm the other, you're going to start believing it. That's what you're going to have. This woman knew the importance of her words, and she knew she had received this promise from God, so she responded with a positive confession. From verse 24 in chapter 4 of 2 Kings, it says, Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She departed and went to the man of God at, at, at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her, saw her from afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? She answered Gehazi and said, It is well. Once again. In verse 24, it tells us she spoke to the servant and told him to drive forward and do not slow down. Her first response in faith was her confession by saying to her husband, All was well. Her second response was going to find Elisha. She told her servant to not slacken the pace. You know, when I was reading this, over and over and over again. Those words drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace. They just leaped out of the page. And I was just reading that verse over and over and over again. And I've written down beside it in my Bible, beside that verse and those words, I said, do not get distracted. Do not slow down. Keep moving forward. When you are believing in faith, you keep going forward. You don't go backwards. You don't stand still. You're not saying, okay, I'm stuck here until I receive what I'm believing for. 
No, you already have it through Jesus. And by faith, you're progressing forward, knowing that what you're believing for is already yours. You just have to receive it. The faith isn't, the faith isn't to know that you have it. We already have it. The faith comes in when we need to receive it. It's already been given to us through Jesus, whatever it is that you're believing for. And if it's in his word, if it's a promise from God, then it's already ours. But we, our faith comes into play when we need to receive it. Do not become passive. Do not let the enemy put you through the motions and trick you into accepting something that is contrary to what God says. Respond in faith. Number one, like the Shunammite woman, respond with your words, declaring what the word says over your situation, regardless of what your five senses are telling you. You respond out loud and say, it is well. Respond with your actions. Keep moving forward. Do not slacken your pace and do not slow down. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to stop. He wants you to stop what you're doing. He wants you to he wants to kill any momentum that you have. That's why he tries to distract us. Because he wants you sidetracked. And if he can get you an inch here, he gets you a mile off way down the line. He tries to distract you, even with the littlest of things. Don't get distracted. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Even if your situation's telling you, to, screaming at you to stay, keep going forward. When you live a lifestyle of faith, you drive forward. You don't go backwards. You don't stand still. You go forward because you know you already have it. It's already yours. At the end of those verses that we just read, she was asked by Gehazi again, is everything okay? In other words, why are you here? Is all well? She responded once again, like I said, with it is well. She held her confession that she previously had when she was questioned by her husband. She could have very, very simply blurted out, like here was this man who through him received her promise. And she could have very blurted out, say, oh my goodness, my son's dead. Come help me, come do this. And she could have very easily done that, even more so than she would have with her husband. But she didn't. She held her confession. She had several opportunities to drop the ball when it came to her confession, but she didn't. She kept speaking it as well. I guarantee you, when you are believing for something, you will have plenty of opportunities to drop your confession. Don't. Stick with what the word says. Keep declaring it. And that's where the lifestyle of faith comes in because it just comes natural. You're pouring the word in and when you're squeezed, that's what comes out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you putting in your heart? Every time the situation is trying to tell you what your reality is, it is an opportunity for you to speak back and, de and declare you know a greater reality, much more real than the world we see around you. The superior authority of the word of God declares, you are the healed of God. You are the blessed of God. You are the favored of God. Things change, but his word doesn't. Stick with his word. You start declaring those things over your life and you start declaring positive things. Don't let, don't let your mind try and trick you into speaking things out. It might seem so minuscule, but if your words start to change, you're in trouble. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promise is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. This is why the lifestyle of faith is so important. We bypass the panic stage. 
when you're suddenly comes, it's like you're stepped into gear straight away. You're not like scurrying around for a few days or a few weeks to get yourself ready. Morning, noon and night, filling yourself up with the word, like, right now I'm ready, but you've lost a few weeks. Maybe you're in those few weeks, you weren't speaking the right words. Maybe, you know, you've lost a bit of ground and you've just made it harder on yourself. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do it, but you've just made it harder on yourself. It's just much easier to live a lifestyle, living on to God, living a lifestyle of faith, a lifestyle of godliness, just like this woman. Keep driving forward and keep your tongue in line. From verse 27, it says, Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. The man of God said, leave her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. Here you have the driving forward and don't slacken your pace again. Lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. In other words, I'm not leaving here without you. You're going to come. This was to Elisha. So he arose and followed her. Notice how when she reached him at the mountain, she said, she, it says she caught him by the feet. When I was reading this verse, I just pictured when we run to the feet of Jesus and we just wrap our hands around him, when we run to him, when our suddenly might come, where are you running to? Are you running to him or are you running somewhere else? This woman ran to the man of God. He wants us to come to him, put our burdens and fall to our knees before him. He is our source and our comfort, our ever-present help in time of need. Why would you run anywhere else? And that's living a lifestyle. Again, he's such a, he's such a focal. He's just, he is everything. When you live that lifestyle, so you can't help but just it just rises up. As soon as something happens, you're just like, no, I'm not having this. And you take it to him. If you're not living that lifestyle, these things don't come as natural to us. It comes a, bit, it comes a lot harder for us. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We heard a few weeks ago in church, um, I'm not sure who said it, but it was, they said that desperation breeds a dependence. And this woman you could just, you can just sense her desperation in this, in these scriptures. She's lost her son that she was given and she runs to this man of God, falls down at his knees, wraps her arms around his legs. Desperation breeds dependence. When people are desperate enough, when all other avenues of hope have been extinguished, it causes them to depend on him. This woman clung to the feet of Elisha and was not leaving that place until she got an answer. And it reminded me of that scripture, I love it, Hebrews chapter 4. It says, so then, cling in faith, in the Passion Translation, to all we know to be true. What do you know to be the true? What do you know to be the most true in your life? Is it what your situation's telling you? Is it what the doctor's telling you? Is it what your bank's telling you? Is it what your neighbor's telling you? Is it what, this, what the news is telling you about COVID? <laughs> or is it the word? What are you putting as the truth in your life? 
you take that and you cling to it. Cling to his feet in every suddenly, in every situation. You hold on to that word. Don't let it go. What is your response? And when I say desperation breeds that dependence, don't get me wrong. Don't leave God as a last resort. Don't run from A to Y and get beat to a pulp along the way and realize you've one letter left. Okay, I'll turn to God now. Like, go to him at A. Go to him as your first response. He's your first port of call. This Shunammite woman immediately combated her situation with her words, and then she took off to find the man of God. She didn't wait around for days to try everything else, to tell everything that had happened, to prepare her son for his burial, to get all the neighbors round. You know, she dwelt, she dwelt among her own people. She was a notable woman, so she was obviously liked in her community. She had neighbors around her. She had family around she dwelt among her own people. She could have called them all together and they could have mourned together. Oh, I've lost my son. I've done this. I've done that. No, she chose a different path. She responded in faith and received what she was believing for. And in verse 31 to 37 then, we find out what happened in the rest of the story. It says, Now Gehazi went on ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. He went back to meet Elisha and the woman and told them, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came to the house, there was the child lying on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. He went up, lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. He stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on the child. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and called, said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. What if this woman had never gone to find Elisha? What if she had have responded negatively to her situation and called all of her, like I said, her family together? What if she had have said, everything's a mess and fallen apart instead of, it is well? It is well. She said it again to Gehazi at the mountain. It is well. Does any of this sound familiar? Does it sound like our vocabulary? Examine your heart and start figuring out, start trying to realize what are you speaking out in your situations? Because if you're speaking out anything that is negative, you need to change what your words are saying and you'll, you'll, you'll see the power of God. Her son would have stayed dead if she hadn't went to find Elisha. She wouldn't have received the fullness of God's promise. We need to mind our tongue, pursue God and walk in the promises he has given us. We need to react quickly and keep moving forward. Don't slow down, don't go backwards, don't slacken your pace. Don't lose momentum, that's what the enemy wants. You keep going full throttle, but driving on further into what God has in store. And you know, favor followed the Shunammite woman. It says, if you read a few chapters on in, into Second Kings, um, there was a famine in the land. And Elisha went to her later on and said, you need to get your family and you need to leave here because there's a famine coming. So she got up, did what the man of God told her, and she went and uh, dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back to her land, and she went to the king to make a plea for her house and her land. And just as she was going to the king, um, Gehazi was there, 
telling the king her very story, all the works that this man of God had done, the king wanted to know. And she, he was telling her, he raised this woman's son from the dead. She comes in and the king says, is, is this true? He gets her to confirm it and she says it is. Not only was her house and her land, the very house that she made room for God in, the very land that she put, that she centered around God, that she built upon having that lifestyle of godliness. When she, she received it back and she received all of the proceeds for it for the seven years she was gone, that's favor. Favor follows you when you live this lifestyle. It all started with an act of love. It started with her humbling herself in a respect and reverence for God. This lifestyle she lived stirred a faith in her that seen her receive and keep her promise from God right in the midst of her suddenly. Favor was poured into her life and her family for years after. What seems to be the little things like, you know, it started with her feeding Elisha with some bread as he passed by. What seems like the little things can seem so insignificant, but they're so important. They're so important. That's how it started for this woman. You know, the reason I use the term suddenly in this message is because it is quick. And like I said, you don't see it coming. Like when you know something's coming, you can prepare yourself. And just as I was kind of reading these these scriptures over the past few weeks, God was just ministering to me and saying, how prepared are you? What does your lifestyle look like? We must live a lifestyle of faith, live a lifestyle of putting God first, respecting and honoring him above all else. We live a lifestyle of being in the word every day, pouring it into us, learning the truths and the promises that have been given to us so we can reign and prosper in life. When we do this, it becomes our first response when these things come knocking. It just flows out of you because you've spent so much time putting it in. I'll close with this. You're not trying to do something or be something. It just happens. It becomes who you are. The effort isn't all on you because you're emptying yourself and just giving everything to God. You're respecting him. You're reverencing him. You're humbling yourself. It's not about you. And that's just been really pressing on my heart the past few days and weeks. Like I said on Sunday morning, humbling yourself. It's not about us. Get your eyes off yourself and start focusing on him. Turn to him. It's not about how great you are. It's about him. It's about putting him as your solid foundation. Stay on the offensive and live a lifestyle that will please him. When something tries to distract you and get you off course, you mind your words and you say, it is well in Jesus' name. It is well. No matter what it looks like, it is well with me. It's not enough to say that you have faith or if something happens, oh, I will have, I'll, I'll get the faith I need to see me through if such and such happens. If we're not living this lifestyle, a lifestyle that strives to be more like Jesus, because guys, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, is to be more like him. We're called to be more like him, to be his disciples. A lifestyle that strives to be more like Jesus and show his qualities, we will be ineffective and unproductive. And I just want to read a last scripture to you in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter tells us we've already received everything we need to live a life of, of godliness. His divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power. Nothing got to do with us. His divine power. We have been empowered with everything we need to live like Jesus, but we need to use it. And that's where the work comes in. We need to apply it. It goes on to list traits that we can supplement with our faith to enable us to live a lifestyle more like Jesus. And when I was reading these, this, these scriptures, I seen so many of these traits in that Shunammite woman. 
supplements to your faith that cultures and creates a lifestyle. It's not just something you're turning off one day and turning off the next. It's a lifestyle. You know, if you're trying to get fit or you're training to swim in the Olympics, you're not just going to start training. If, like, I think they start this week, do they? You're not going to start. You didn't start training last month. These people are training since they're kids. They go through rigorous training. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. You don't just turn it off and then expect and, and then turn it back on and expect, oh, this is what's going to happen. No, it doesn't work like that. It's a lifestyle. From verse 5 in 2 Peter chapter 1, in the Passion Translation, it says, So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness, and to goodness add understanding. To understanding add the strength of self-control. To self-control add patient endurance. To patient endurance add godliness. To godliness add mercy toward your brothers and sisters. And to mercy toward others add unending love. We should strive to add these qualities that Jesus had to our faith and create a lifestyle to look like more like him. Like when people look, look at you, who do they see? Do they see Jesus? Because that's what our goal should be. That's what we should be striving for, to be more like him. That's certainly what I'm striving for. I want to, like I said at the beginning, I want people to not only just come into my home, but come into, if they're, even if they're around me, I want them just to know this, this man serves Jesus. He's a Jesus follower. That's what, should, what, should we, what, should we, what we should be going after, forgive me. When we grow in these qualities, it leads to a productive and effective life. It creates a culture that we live by and it becomes so natural. And this will determine how we respond to our situations. Amen? I hope you're encouraged by that tonight. Let me just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you for this time that we help us never let it take it for granted, Father. An opportunity to learn your word. And even I was learning as I was saying this, Father, and I've already prepared it. But Father, just learning more of you, just peeling back layer after layer. Help us create a lifestyle of godliness. Help us create a lifestyle of faith. Help us add these qualities and supplement our faith to be more like Jesus. We just want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to have the faith you had. We love you, Lord. We thank you for each and every person in this room, for every person that was watching online and that may be on the podcast later, Father Lord, that this word that went forth, it will not be stolen from them, but it will be planted on good ground and it will, it will produce seed multiplied, multiplied in their lives. And not only just for them, but for the people around them. As we go about our lives, Father, making you known, that is our great commission, that is our call, to lead people to you. Help us rid ourselves of our, self, of our selfishness. Less of us and more of you. As John the Baptist said, you must increase, I must decrease. Help us, Father Lord, to live this lifestyle as we go as our days ahead, as our weeks ahead, Father. And I just thank you for the rest of our week, that it is blessed and that you are with us every day. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the centre of the town and we would love for you to call in and see us. 
Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.